Jesus, thank you for this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are God, you are Savior. And we thank you that we can come here this morning to, to study your word, to be with you, to seek you in your word. And I ask God, as we do, that we would learn, that we would grow, that we would get to know you better because we're studying your word. And that your word would transform us and change us today, God. So I ask for your Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Help us to have an open heart to you and help us to have a mind to understand your truths here. So God, anoint this time and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I read this article and it was on, on comments of sent centenarians i almost said centurions we were talking about the centurion on wednesday night but centenarians they are people who live uh, beyond 100 and also some of these comments in this uh, article was for super centenarians which are i didn't know this people who live past the age of 110 and they were talking about on tips for longevity in other words they were sharing their secrets for a long life. Let me share just a few things here. Emma Morens, she's from Italy. She actually has passed away, but she lived to 117 years old. And she attributes her long life to a diet of two raw eggs and one cooked egg, eating that for breakfast every day since she was the age of 20, she said. Oh, and she also added... She adds that her longevity, she adds that she eats cookies for that. I thought, well, I like that one. <laughs> cookies, all right? So that's why we have cookies at church. We want you to live long. Misao Okawa was the world's oldest living person until she died in 2017. She lived to the age of 117 years old. She was actually born in 1898 in Japan. She's from Japan. Can you imagine seeing the world change since then? Amazing, yeah? She said that her secret to long life was getting a good night's sleep and eating sushi. Oh, I'm into that too. Sushi, yeah? Sushi is good for you. That's, there we go. By the way, Japan has the most centenarians in the world with about 70,000 people. That's amazing to me. Uh, it must say something about their food, lifestyle, and everything, yeah. One more. Uh, Jera Leontali from Michigan lived to 116 years old. Now, she said the secret to her long life was her faith in God. She regularly went to church at a Baptist, her Baptist church. And she added to that is eating pork which includes pig's feet and pig ears. <laughs> well, there you go. Start gnawing on those ears right away yeah, if you want to live long. Well, eating right for living a long life, it, it's one thing. It's a, yeah, it's good for us, right? But you know what? Living a right life and living the godly life, living the life that God has set for believers, you know what? That's really what's most important. And so as we begin our study in the book of 2 Peter, we find here at the beginning the secret to living life. And that's the title of our message, the secret to living life. There's some principles here we're going to be learning. Uh, 
We're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 1 from verse 1 through 4. Just uh, those four or five verses this morning, and we're going to dig deep into it. We're going to see four things, actually. Each verse is going to bring these things out. Number one, the person of Jesus Christ. Number two, the prayer for blessings. Number three, the power in salvation. And number four, the promises from God. I know sometimes you guys, well, you always do three things. Well, hey, I'm doing something different. I'm doing four now, four here. But that, that, that's what I see here, four things. So the secret to living life, Second Peter chapter 1 from verse 1 through 14 this morning. Well, we begin here. Number one, the first thing we're going to see is the person of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. And we're going to cover verse one here. So let's begin there. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Simeon, Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we'll stop right there. Now, we begin really here with the name of the, of the writer. The person who authored, well, this is actually a letter. Uh, some of the old translations call it the epistle of Peter. Uh, the ESV at the top says the second letter of Peter. So this is actually a letter that is being written. And the author we find in these first two words, Simeon Peter. Now Simeon is another name for Simon. We know him as Simon, most of you. Otherwise known as Peter, this is Peter the Apostle, the, one of the main disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, as we get into this introduction here, this is really formatted in a way of a letter, an ancient letter. Now, ancient letters, they begin with who wrote the book. And then it goes to who it's to, who it's written to. And that's why you see later, to. In my ESV Bible, there's a paragraph mark separating, actually, from that first line, to uh, where it says to, to those. So, so this is how ancient letter goes. Who authored the book, uh, who it's written to. We're going to get in, in this ancient style. Then there's going to be a blessing. That's what we'll see in verse 2. Uh, sometimes a prayer. I think it's combined in verse 2. We get to the body of the letter and then they sign up at the end. So as we begin here, that's why we see Peter's name right away because this is the ancient style and when i say that i i i come from uh those of you who are older we come from writing letters right and usually we we write who it's to and at the end we write who it's from but in our day and age we're kind of used to it with text messages and email we see who it's from right you get a text message you go well who's giving me this well right away it tells you who it's from well that's what this letter is like in that way so let me what I was thinking about when I first read this was we see that it's written by Simeon or Simon, Peter. Now, why both names? In First Peter, he only really gave one name. But here we have both names. Why both names? Well, I believe Peter's just putting out there that to remind the readers that, you know, he's, he's, yeah, he's an apostle. He's one of Jesus' closest disciples. Everyone knows him for that. But he's still Simon. He's still this imperfect human being. And, and it's a humble way for him to just kind of present himself. You know, in John chapter 1, verse 42, uh, when, when Andrew's brother brought Peter to Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, 
your name is going to be Cephas, or in the Aramaic, Peter, which means rock. Now, I always talk about how the other disciples must have laughed. What, Peter, the rock? Oh, he's the most unstable, emotional, unpredictable person we know. And you're calling him the rock? But you know what? Jesus could foresee his potential. Jesus could see that Peter was this diamond in the rough. And you know when the Holy Spirit got a hold of him in the book of Acts? He was the one who stood up and preached the gospel and thousands came to the Lord. God used them in a mighty way and that's what Jesus saw, right? This rock, Peter, the rock. But Peter, he's approaching this letter, coming into this letter with this humbleness. You know what? I'm not perfect, he's saying. I I still have my moments. And what we're going to see is he really ends up pointing to Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. So here's Peter, well, who we know, Simon Peter or Peter, and it says here, he describes himself now as a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, I like that because he puts servant, though that word is doulos in the Greek, it means slave. It means not a hired hand, but that he's owned by his master, a slave owned by his master. And I think Peter's like, you know what? My life, it's all about serving God, serving my master. I've given my life over to him. And in the Old Testament, the slaves who really wanted to stay with their master, and even in the year of Jubilee, they were free, they would what? Stand by the door post and all would would punch through their ear like they get their ears pierced. And that would be a symbol of them dedicating their life to their master. And this is Peter. He's that doulos. He's that slave. And he's saying, look, my life is all about serving God. And then he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Apostle means sent out one. That's what it literally means. And Peter has been officially called by Jesus to be his messenger. That's what basically the apostle is. They've been officially called to preach the word, to bring the word. And the apostles, many of them were the ones who give us the scriptures that we have in our hand today. So here's Peter. He's giving us two. To me, it's like Simon and Peter. And now it's like, oh, servant and apostle. And I think the two descriptions of himself tell us something about Peter, that he is a servant, that he is an apostle. But I think the order of it, that's what I see. The order says much about Peter. First, he's a Christian servant for Jesus. And secondly, then he's called to preach for Jesus. He's a messenger of Jesus. You know, I was thinking about, I stand here before you, you know what, as a Christian first. I do. I stand here as a believer in Christ. And, and, and then I'm a pastor second as I'm called to teach you the word of God. See, that's my calling. But first of all, I am a servant of God. Let me tell you, if, if God didn't call me to teach the word, I would still be here serving God in some way or another. That's who I am. That's what I want to do. And when I'm not doing pastor things, I'm trying to serve God in other areas too. And that's what we should be. First and foremost is that we're a servant. You know, it's not like, oh, well, we're going to be, you know, uh, taking the steps to success, you know, and I'm going to reach this place in ministry where I can be this. No, you know, I I may have been called and gone through that training and steps, but I'm still a servant of God, and I'm still willing and ready to do whatever he wants me to do. And I like that about Peter. Peter's like, you know what, I'm, I'm a servant, yeah? 
I'm serving God in any way in, in our studies in the book of Acts. Haven't we seen that? I'm, I'm ready to do whatever God wants me to do. It's not about my position, my calling as apostle, but it's about, first of all, me being a servant. So you, so you kind of get the feeling here. First, you know, Peter's like, look, I'm, I'm Simon sometimes, you know, I'm Peter, but, you know, I'm not perfect, but you know what? I'm saved in Christ, and we're going to be seeing that. And then I'm, I'm a servant. I'm an apostle of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ called me, but you know what? I'm first and foremost a servant. Then it goes on here in verse 1. To those who have obtained a faith of equal with standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he goes on here to write who the letter is written to. So in that ancient style, we see who it's from. And now we see the address, who it's going to. Now, when he says to those, you know, he's really addressing to the same believers he wrote to in the book of 1 Peter. Matter of fact, um, chapter 3, verse 1 says, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you. So in reference to that, it's the same people. It's the same group of people, the Jews and the Gentile Christians that are out there in the world. And so he's writing to them specifically. And so he, he's writing here, but in this second letter, but it's interesting, he doesn't like specify exactly like in First Peter to those who've been dispersed out in all these Gentile areas. But he describes them this way, which is interesting. Who have obtained faith of equal standing with ours. Now, it's kind of strange English to me, and maybe it's a little bit hard to understand. But let's take it apart. So he describes the readers as those who obtain a faith. So what is he talking about? Salvation. Who've obtained salvation, and this salvation is of equal standing. Now, though that word equal standing, it's, it means of the same value. That's what it means. This word uh, was in original language was actually used for foreigners who were granted citizenship. That they would have the same rights and the same uh, uh, benefits of natural-born citizens. So that, that's the idea here in Peter writing it. So, in other words, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile that have come to Jesus Christ, we have all been saved in the same way. And I, I like that. I like that. So he's saying, look, yeah, he, he's joining in here. He's not talking up here as like this apostle way up here he's like you know what you and i we've been saved saved the same way we we've come to this salvation and knowing god all in the same way whether you're jew or gentiles and we've been seeing in the book of acts if you can make it on wednesday how amazing it is where we we just went through this transition where actually the the apostles are reaching out peter reached out to a gentile and and for seven years the Jewish Christians, they were set in that, well, this is, this is a Jewish church, but God wants it to be a Jewish Gentile church. So here's Peter even talking in this way that, you know what, this is to all of you guys, whether Jew or Gentile, we've obtained the same salvation. We're, we're, we're in, the, in the same way. We're at equal standing. We have the same citizenship and the same uh, rights now. And what does he say? Well, how does that happen? Well, 
by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I love that. We know it's the righteousness of Jesus that we're saved. We see that by the cross, Jesus dying on the cross, we're forgiven of our sins, right? And then we're made right with God. And then we're made pure enough to be able to go to heaven, to have eternal life through what Christ has done on the cross, through his atonement. So we've been forgiven, cleansed, made right. That's that righteousness, that purity that we have. And it's not our own. It's Christ's righteousness that have been given to us because of what he's done on the cross. Now, I think it's interesting here in verse 1, it says that to those who have obtained a faith, not Obtained a faith, but obtain a faith. You know, the original uh, word here, it means like winning by lottery or gaining by lottery. And so it's, I think about, well, isn't salvation a gift of God? So this righteousness, this salvation we have is a gift of God that we receive by faith. So it goes along with that, that it is Christ who has saved us. It's his righteousness upon us. Jesus' blood covers us, forgives us, and covers our sin. And then his righteousness is clothed upon us. And then that allows us to be with God, to go to heaven one day. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, the second part, and, and listen to this. This is the NLT version. It, Paul writes here, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And that's exactly what Peter is saying here. That, you know, we've obtained this, 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 this salvation, not because I'm a Jew, or not be, and, and you didn't because you're a Gentile, but we obtained it. We received it. It's a gift all through Jesus Christ, all through this person, the person of Jesus Christ. But before we go on, this last part of verse 1 is amazing to me. It says, with ours by the righteousness of, and that Peter writes, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ. And I want you to know that God and Savior are connected there. In other words, Peter's writing saying, you know what? Jesus is God and Savior. You know what he's saying? Jesus is God. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is God. In the original language, that's what's happening here in what we're seeing. Here, Peter takes the Old Testament name of God for God and applies it to Jesus. Did you know in Isaiah 43, 3 says, I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, capital S, your Savior. So that may open your mind up to understand, oh, whoa, when we see in the New Testament, the Savior, when we see Peter talking about in the book of Acts, witnessing and giving the message of the Savior, he, in his Old Testament mind, is alluding to the Old Testament name for God, Savior. And so he puts it really up front here. You know what? We're saved by the righteousness of God and, uh, and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's Peter. Throughout this verse, Peter points to the person of Jesus Christ. Can you see that? He says, I'm still Simon. 
It's not about me being this big apostle guy or being Peter the rock. Yeah? I'm still this servant. It's not, it's not what my ministry is. Or I'm the head apostle kind of thing. I'm one of the head guys there of the church. No, it's about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus who, who saved us. It's our, by his righteousness. God called, Jesus called me to be apostle, not me. God, Jesus just did that. It's all about Jesus Christ. So Peter points to the person of Jesus Christ in all of this, in salvation, in his life with God. You know, I, I was thinking about the hymn. The hymn is called, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. But the first stanza, and we sing this in another song, goes like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's what it's about, isn't it? Peter's like, I may, not, I may be apostle, but you know what? I come to you in the name of Jesus. I point to Jesus. God, the Lord, the Savior, he's the one who sa- saves. And it's like he's just pointing and pushing everyone's eyes to Jesus. Not me. It's Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is all we need. Nothing else. Nothing more. Nothing less. That's Jesus Christ. So as we begin here, you know what? The secret to living life here on this earth, as we as believers are still here, we're not in heaven yet, you know what? It's the person of Jesus Christ. It's him. That's our focus. That's our priority. That's who we look to in our salvation and in who we are. Well, the secret to living life, the person of Jesus. Now let's go to number two. The prayer for blessing. The prayer for blessing. Verse 2, it reads, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So now we come, as the ancient letter has given uh, who it's from, who it's to, uh, what's usually in this ancient letter is a blessing and then a prayer. You'll see that in many of the Apostle Paul's writings, the the letters in the New Testament. Here, I, I think Peter just combines it all. You know, and he's putting it all together. And, and I see this prayer for blessing, a blessing and a prayer here. And so the first thing he prays for is may grace basically be multiplied to you. Peter prays for great grace to be continually given to the readers here. And you know what? We need grace, don't we? Because we're not perfect. We can be like Simon. We can be, be, go back to our old nature, the old flesh here. We're not always the new person, Peter. And we need grace in our lives. So first is grace, which is undeserved blessing. Say you get pulled over for speeding down the highway. You know what justice would be? Is when the officer pulls you over and gives you a t- ticket and you have to pay the penalty. You broke the law, Right? Well, mercy would be the officer lets you go with just the warning. Okay, I'll let you go. I won't give you a ticket. You you did wrong, but I'm I'm not going to hold you to it. That's mercy. That's mercy. Grace is if the officer pulls you over for speeding, and then he says, you know what? I'm going to give you a ticket, but I'm going to give you a ticket to the Lauren Daigle concert coming up. That's grace. It's in my mind because years ago, someone actually graciously gave us tickets in Oahu, and it was an awesome concert, (laughs) but uh, it was a great show. But anyway, yeah, grace here, right, is what we need. We need that undeserved blessing. And so I think this is the best prayer we can have 
to God, God, give me grace, daily grace. And you know what? And also, God, help me to give much grace, multiply grace out. Because we all need it. Well, then he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, we understand with peace that there's really two types of peace. The peace with God and the peace of God. Peace with God, the New Testament talks about, is, is having peace with God. In other words, we're not enemies of God anymore. Because of Christ, we're not at enmity, which is the, uh, what is said in Romans, that we're not against God. We're not, you know, fighting because in our sin against God. No, we have peace with God because of Jesus Christ and his blood and his righteousness. And then the peace of God is that peace that enters in us to give us peace through those trial, times of trial, peace in the middle of the storm, that type of peace, peace in the presence of God, just just having peace, you know, as you go through life. And so you can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God. So you got to get peace with God to have the peace of God of God. So I think both is here. So may grace and the peace with God and peace of God be multiplied to you. May you have that abundant peace upon you. Now, he then says something here in the knowledge, in verse 2, of God and of our Jesus, our Lord. So how does grace and peace How are they multiplied in your life? Well, we see it here in, or you could translate it through, the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So he's saying through the knowledge, through knowing God, through knowing Jesus. He's kind of just wrapping everything together. God the Father and Jesus his Son through knowing. Now, the the word knowledge here, it, it... it, the key word, this is the key word, because the word knowledge here, it means to know thoroughly. It's not just know about, right? Because James says even the demons believe. They know God. They know Jesus is the Son of God. They know, but they don't believe. This is more about know knowing, know thoroughly. And it really speaks about knowing by a close experience. And so... It, Peter's talking about fully embracing the truth of Jesus and then experiencing, like fully embracing, believing Jesus, and then experiencing a relationship with God. That's the knowledge he's talking about there. It's just not not like, well, I know the president of the United States. I know who he is. But do you know him? Do you have a relationship? He's talking about having a relationship because through embracing by faith the truth of Jesus, you've come to a place because of his righteousness, his forgiveness. Now we can have this relationship. And now as we fully embrace Jesus, we can experience, know by experience, a relationship with God. So how do we get this grace and, and peace? How, 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 where's the channel where it flows through? Well, it's through the knowledge, knowing by experience. God and the Father and Jesus Christ. Listen to what, <clears throat> how important it is. This, listen to what J.I. Packer said in his book called Knowing God. He said, what were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the best thing in life? 
bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? The knowledge of God. That's what it is, you guys. The knowledge of God. This is what Peter is saying. This is what we're heading into even in this whole book. It's, the, it's knowing God. So what I love about verse 2 is this. The prayer for blessing is for a deeper relationship experience between you and God. That's what he's really praying for. Have that grace. Have that peace. The prayer for blessing is for a deeper relationship experience between you and God. And really, that's what's important, isn't it, today? That we have a relationship with God. That we're cultivating that relationship with God. You know, <clears throat> my marriage is not a ritual. I mean, our marriages, right? And those of you who are married, we, we don't just go through motions. We don't just have a ritual. Well, I'm going to sit with my wife for about an hour and 45 minutes every day, and I'll be okay, right? Or it's not, well, I show up for, for dinner once a week. No, it, we build a relationship. It's not just, well, I give her money for groceries, and, and then that's it. You don't do certain things like in a ritualistic way and then you think that you're a good husband. No, it's not that at all. No, we spend as much time as we can together. We talk story together. We, 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 we give uh, everything of ourselves to one another and we build a relationship together. And you know, it's the same with God. It's the same with the Lord. It's a relationship, not some ritual, not just, well, I put my time in. Yeah, I punched a clock. Yeah, in and out. Is that what you're doing? Or are you cultivating your relationship with God? Are you really, like I do with my wife, falling in love with her more and more? Is that what you do with the Lord? Or is it, well, I come to church, go, and yeah, I've done my time. God, I hope you saw that. Bless me this week. Yeah? No, our life with Christ is about cultivating a relationship with God. You know what Peter is saying? Real faith. We've obtained this faith. Real faith is a close, personal involvement with God. And that's what he's saying. That's what God is saying to us. Are we cultivating that? Is that special to us? Is the word of God today sparking your heart to love him more, to spend time with him more, to, to, to meet with him more? It should. It better. So that's the secret to living life here on earth. First of all, the person of Jesus Christ and what we found in the prayer for blessings. Well, let's go on to the number three, the power in salvation. The power in salvation. Here we go to verse three. It says here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So it begins here, Peter. Now, the, the power, okay, to live a life for God is really provided by God himself. That's why it says his, his divine power. He gives us that power to live. And the idea really is here, after you've been talking about all this in the first two verses, is that it's included in salvation, God has saved you, and now he's giving you that power to live this life for him. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. God just doesn't powerfully save you and then, okay, go on, go on. But you got to do this, you got to do that, figure it out. No, he gives us the ability, the power, the strength to live for him. 
In other words, God has given us everything we need to live life, he says here. To live life here on this planet before we go to heaven. He's given us everything, you know what, to live, he says here, in godliness. That means to live for Christ, to follow Christ. That means to live a holy life. That means, you know, really to become who we are in Christ, who God is making us out to be. So all that you need to live a Christian life, you know what? It became yours at the time of salvation. And it's that power in salvation that is keeping you going. I think about, I think it was Ephesians 1, 3, that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, which talks about eternal heaven, the resources we have, and the power we have to live on this earth. This is what Peter's talking about. Well, how do we obtain this power? Well, I love it. Through the knowledge, verse 3 says, of him who called us to live his own glory and excellence. So glory, the glory of Christ, excellence is more about the goodness of God. He's called us to his own glory, to glorify him and to exalt his goodness of who he is, his virtue. But notice it says here that this power is granted to us in all things, everything in life. What? Through what? The knowledge of him, of Jesus, of God. And you know what? This word knowledge is the same word that was used above. So it's to know God by that close experience and that personal involvement. That's what it's ta- talk, talking about. It's that same thing, getting to know God. And let me tell you, you know what the best way to know God intimately is by getting to know the Word of God. And that's why we're here today. That's why we study the Word, so you can get to know God, that you can hear God from the pages of your Bible, that you, you can grow close to Him and learn to love Him and, and grow in your, your walk in, with Him. So the better you know your Bible, the better you know God. And I'll tell you what, the better you stay true to God. Understand, the book of 2 Peter is really the last writings we have of Peter. It was written around 67, 68 A.D. But shortly after he wrote this, he was martyred by Nero. He was put to death. So we hold in our hands like, like this, this last words, and we should put our attention upon it. When we, as we study this book, come every week. Get into this book. Hear what this, this apostle, Simon, is saying to us. What, what are his last words? What's his dying wish for us? He knows. He's in prison right now writing this. He knows the end is near. So he's giving us, he's giving the church, he's giving believers what's so important on his mind. And also understand as we get into this book that, that false teachers were infiltrating, infiltrating the church. They're coming in and they're bringing in false doctrine. They're distracting believers from what really matters in life. And so Peter's right here, look you guys, hold true to God. Get to know him through the word of God. Don't stray off of what it really means to live for God. Which brings us to our theme. What's the overarching theme of the book of 2 Peter? And it's this. Know the word and grow in God. Know the word and grow in God. 
grow in your own spiritual maturity, grow closer to, to Jesus, know the word and grow in God. Or you know what? Shorter is know and grow. <laughs> know and grow, you guys. Know the word, know God and grow in God. Grow in your life in Christ. Become stable in your life. And the key verses right here, his divine power is granted for us all things. To what? To grow and it's through that knowledge of Christ. And we're going to get more into to this growth part in the next section next week. So the power in salvation, understand, is the same power that will keep you to know God and grow in God. Understand that today. The power in salvation, that's the power working in your life. I mean, some of us have great testimonies, don't you? How God freed you from your addictions. How God freed you from sin. How God did amazing things. Some of you, um, who was I talking to the other day? Um, well, anyway, you know, um, uh, was, was uh, immediately freed, you know, from that old life. We have powerful testimonies, some of us, from our life before. And God did that. That's His power to save. We're, we're different people, aren't we, today, than what we were before. I mean, I, we just sang in Keiki Church. I did Keiki Church on, on the first Sunday of the month. And we, we sang, um, He's Mighty to Save. And, you know, the chorus is, um, uh, 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 He's my Savior. He can move the mountains. And sometimes the biggest mountain is me to move. The biggest mountain that's in the way for me to live is me. But Christ has done that. Well, that same power in salvation is the same power that's going to help us to grow in God, to know God. And that's what Peter's putting forth here. I mean, I mentioned already, look at it this way, right? Like Peter, Jesus saw him, not as Simon, but as Peter. Jesus saw the potential that God could do through him, that he could do through Peter. That, that he's going to save Peter and create inside of him this new DNA. You know, it's like those movies, they inject new DNA into the system and they turn out to this monster, right? I mean, think about that. But think about spiritually in our soul how God makes us into a new person. Now, maybe you're like, okay, I know the power's there, but I struggle. How come I still struggle? Well, well, you know what? Maybe you need to appropriate. Maybe you need to apply what we're learning here and understand these things so that you can grow, that you can see the truth that's in the Bible and what the truth will set you free is that, wow, God is working in me. That, that I, I don't attain, I obtain. That God's the one who's doing this work in me and I allow the Spirit to do that work. Think about it this way. You have a new DNA, so to speak, as a new creation in Christ. You, you're a new person. There's a new nature in, in, in you. Think about when, when a baby is born, right? They don't have any teeth. Yeah. Some babies have no hair. Uh, babies can't walk. They can't even crawl, right? They can't eat solid foods, no teeth, nothing, yeah? And so that's why we've got to take care of them. But it, are, do they stay the same? They can't carry a conversation, carry a conversation with you. Uh, their brain is still developing. But do they stay the same? No. They grow. Because built into their DNA is programmed to grow into a mature human, human being. 
I always think about how babies, their limbs are so short. You know, they raise their hands and compared to their head, it's only this far. But as we grow, right, our arms go way up higher than our head. As we grow, the baby, he starts to grow hair if they not, or she. Uh, they get teeth, right? It's part of their DNA. They learn to talk. Their brain develops. Their speech develops. They learn to walk, and then they start running. And just the other day, I was just noticing uh, Riley, who's three now, just jumping, 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 jumping. But I remember I was reminiscing when she was so small, she'd try to jump and be like, you know, kind of thing. But now she gets off in the ground, into the air. Well, let me tell you, so it is for you and I. So it is for you and I. As we feed on the Word of God, as God works in our life, we are nurtured and we grow and we become all that God is making us to be. And that's the truth here. That's what we see in the Bible. So don't be discouraged. Don't be frustrated. But continue to seek God in your spiritual growth. Know that the power and salvation is the same power that's helping you to know God and grow in God. God gives us his word to nourish the Holy Spirit in our lives to, to regenerate us and to stay there and to grow us so that, well, we know what Galatians 5 says, so we would have what? Fruits of the Holy Spirit, that we would grow in maturity, in spiritual maturity, and in our character in following God and what we re are reading here in godliness. So the secret to living life, is that power and salvation. Yeah. It's working in us too. So we see, number one, the secret to living life, the person of Jesus, the prayer for blessing, the power in salvation. And now, number four, our last thing we see is the promises from God. And this is verse four. Verse four. Second Peter chapter one, verse four says, And by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire now i love this verse so okay included in all things and what we see in verse three are you know what he's granted also precious and very great promises precious is like high in value very valuable to us and great means uh, mega, huge. Uh, the Greek word is mega, like we said, megadon, or is that a monster or something? But anyway, you know, mega, that word we'll use, right? So these are huge promises for us in our life. And when God promises something, it's going to happen. Did you know uh, someone calculated that in the whole Bible, there's like over 30,000 promises of God? Isn't that great? 30,000 in the Bible, John Bunyan, the Puritan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he said this, the pathway of life is strewn so thickly with the promises of God that it is impossible to take one step without treading upon one of them. I love that. I love that. And it's true. As we read through the scriptures, there's all kinds of promises there. Let, let me give you a few, and I want, you, I want to set you up a little bit for for where Peter's taking us. And, and God promises, you know what? He promises to forgive us, right? He promises in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? Because he died on a cross. 
So God promises to forgive us when we come to him and for, confess our sins and we go to him. Secondly, God promises, you know what, to never leave us nor forsake us. We know that. Hebrews 13, 5, it's quoting the Old Testament too. It means that, you know, God is always there for us. His presence is always there. His protection is there. His provision is there. He, he's there for us. He's always, he's never going to leave us. He's always going to be there for us. And then here's another thing. God promises to have a place for you in heaven. If you're in Christ, he has a place for you, right? John 14, uh, what was that, 2? I go to prepare a place for you, right? In my Father's house are many mansions, many rooms. So those are promises of God about our salvation. And let me give you one more, Philippians 1, 6. You know that verse? It says that he who begun that good work in you, right, is, is faithful to complete it, to bring it to completion. In other words, the work that he starts in you, this new creation, making us uh, into uh, followers of Christ, into the image of Christ, Romans 8, he's going to complete that work all the way when we reach the heaven. That will be the completion. So he's not going to drop the ball on you. He's not going to like, oh, oops, I, I forgot about that part of your life. No, he is the Lord God, and he's going to be constantly working. So there's, there's these promises of God. And so Peter's like, hey, he's granted us. He's precious, high value that, you know, he is going to work in our life. That they're huge because what's the most important thing in our life? Our relationship with God and living for him. So they're huge promises for us that he's working in us. And so... Here's Peter. He's going to open this up here in verse 4. He says, So that through them, through the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature because you have, been, you have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, in salvation, when Christ died on the cross, rose again from the dead, he defeated sin. He defeated the devil. And when we come to Christ, so we are no longer in bondage to our sinful desires. So we have escaped, so to speak. We've been freed from the corruption that's in the world, which is corrupted with all this sinful desire, right? Sinful flesh out there. Well, we've been rescued from that. We escaped from living that kind of life. And now... We are partakers. We have become partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we're going to become a God. That's not what it's talking about. Sorry, Mormons. That's not biblical. We are not becoming gods ourselves. No, it, it really is, it is talking about that we're connected now with the life of God through what? A new nature that we have. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, right? That's what the Bible tells us. When you come to Christ, we're forgiven. The, the Christ's righteousness is upon us. And the thing that blows my mind is God actually lives within us. The life of God in the soul of a man. Spurgeon had a book on that. That's amazing. What? God inside me? Me? Well, it's because of Jesus Christ that it's possible for the Holy Spirit to be inside of us. So with the Holy Spirit in us, empowering us, changing us, bringing out fruit. We're partaking in this work of God, becoming more like Christ. We're partaking in that divine nature. And so 
partaking in the divine nature means we're, we're, being, we're connected, right? We've given a new nature. So our new nature is connected to God's nature. So we're, we're partaking, we're fellowshipping, we're connected in that way. So Peter's saying, here's the idea. We are no longer part of the world. The world's desire, going after sin and things. The, the way the world runs, we know that. We came from that, right? But our new nature now, this nature that's connected to God, we naturally, I'll use that word, we naturally live for God now. That's what's natural for us now. 1 John 3, 9 says this, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed, or that life, abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been, what? Born of God. So when we're born of God, when we come to Christ, it's because we're a new creation. We're a new person. And now we have this new nature and God's in us. And so we cannot go on practicing sin and, and living for our sinful fleshly desire because we're not that anymore. That's not what is natural to us anymore. So we don't make a practice of it. Yeah, we're not perfect. Yeah, we're going to sin. Christ's blood covers that. But you know what? That's not who God has made us to be and is making us to be. So the promises from God will keep you on the path of who you are in Jesus and your future destiny. God promises to forgive us, right? His forgiveness is there. So we can keep going on. We can get up when we fail him. God promises, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. You're mine now. You're my child now, right? He, he promises that we have a destiny in heaven for us, a place. And he promises to get us there. So do you understand the promises from God? And this is just a few of these scriptures. will keep you on the path of who you are in Jesus and your future destiny. So understand that, that we have promises. A lot of times we hang on to God provide for me. God give me strength. I can't get, I'm in a trial, Lord. God, God, uh, uh, uphold me with your righteous right hand. God, your, the word says, he who keeps his mind on me, uh, he, uh, I will give you peace, he who keeps his mind on me, right? God, we need that. But there's these promises of our Christian life and how we live our life and who we are. We got to hold on to those too. The promises of God will keep you on the path of who you are in Jesus and your future destiny let the word of god tell you show you explain to you keep in front of your face who you are in jesus now you have a new nature you're a new person think about it this way your nature determines your behavior think about this like an eagle loves to fly a dolphin likes to swim yeah a crab likes to crawl sideways god's people you know what they love to live godly lives that that's our behavior we love to obey god that's in us it's in our dna that's our nature your nature determines your environment fish you're, if you're a fish right you like the water if you're a squirrel you live in trees if you're a centipede you live in my house but uh, you know right i mean your nature right, determines your environment. Well, Christians, we thrive in church. We thrive in prayer. 
We thrive when we worship the Lord, when the Holy Spirit meets us. Your nature determines your appetite. Dogs eat dog food, cats eat cat food, pig eat pig's food, right? Birds eat bird seed or whatever they eat. What do God's people feed on? The Bible, the Bible. And they thirst for Jesus more and more. That's our nature, you guys. That's our new nature now. And God promises in that new nature to be there for us, to grow us, to, to bring us to that place where we become the people of God, you and I. Oh, this is so great. I love this truth. Understanding this, though, let me ask you, have you drifted from what you do on the outside from what God put on the inside? Could it be that's why there's a struggle, there's no peace? Could it be that that's what's going on? Have you allowed sin to keep you from who God is making you to be? To keep you from from your new nature? Do you understand real faith, real salvation brings this change in our lives? We're all here because God put it in us to want to be in church, to study His Word, to worship, to partake in communion. That's God's work in us. Look deep, you guys. What is your nature? I'll close with this. The scorpion convinced the turtle to carry him across the pond. The turtle was reluctant. You'll sting me while swimming and I'll drown. But the scorpion's like, if you go down, I go down too. Where's the logic in that? So the turtle's like, okay. So they set out. Scorpion afloat on the turtle. But halfway across the pond, the scorpion stings the turtle. Turtle's like, why did you do what that? Why'd you do that? You know what will happen. Where's the logic in that? Well, the scorpion replied, it has nothing to do with logic. It's just my nature. What is your nature? What do you default to? Consider where you are at with the Lord. Does it make sense that if you say you're in Jesus and you have a new nature that you continue to practice sin? It doesn't make sense. We should be struggling inside that we're in that place. But you know what? Let me tell you. God wants to deliver you from those habits. God wants to deliver you and bring you out of that. Come to Christ. Come honestly to Him. Say, God, I'm struggling. I, I, I believe I'm a Christian, but I'm still struggling here. Well, you know what? Today's perfect time as we move into communion. To go to the cross and let God help you and speak to you. Because he wants all of us. He's working in our hearts to live out this new nature, you guys. This new person that we are. And perhaps this message and this moment we have right now and communion is all God's plan for you to bring you to the right place with him. To help you, empower you, and fulfill his promise to you as you live your life for him. So let's not go against what God has done and what he's doing inside of us. And this is the secret to living life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning, how powerful it is. Just a few verses here, and what Peter wrote just opens up so much truth, God. And Lord, I know that you're working right now, and you, your spirit wants us, God, to be better people of God, to be better sons and daughters of the Lord. God, you, your Holy Spirit is moving upon us, speaking to us. And, and God, I, I, it's speaking to me. 
Lord, we have sinned before you. We've been weak, God. We've gone back to maybe things that you delivered us from. But Lord, we are here humbling ourselves, repenting before you, knowing that we cannot do anything to free ourselves. We cannot do anything to atone for our sins, but it's you, Jesus. And so it's you we go to for forgiveness. Oh, Lord, may your spirit move upon us. May you cleanse us. Forgive us now, God. Lord, thank you, though, that you love us and you never stop trying to reach us and work in our life. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at this moment, uh, uh, we're going to worship the Lord. Now, guys are going to pass out the elements. Uh, you get your communion kit with the juice and the bread. Uh, um, and we're going to partake of this one by one. First, the bread. going to sing another song, then the cup, and then you'll be dismissed. Um, Spencer's going to come up and uh, lead you in partaking of the, the bread, and Pastor Stephen's going to come up with the cup. But as we come to the Lord, and especially as we're worshiping God before you partake and during, you know what? Let's be honest with God. This is what I always say, a holy moment. It's not just some ritual, but we are really coming before the Lord Jesus Christ. We're really grateful to him and what he's done on the cross. We're really remembering his sacrifice of blood. He gave his life for us. And we we don't want to do this flippantly or just, oh, whatever, ritually. And we want to come to him with our heart. And so I I pray that as soon as you get your, your elements, just go before the Lord. Close your eyes. Worship God. Confess your sins. This is a perfect time to make right. This is a perfect time to give your heart to the Lord. This is a perfect time to come before Jesus at the cross and find God waiting for you with His arms open and His love pouring out to you. Let's worship Him.